This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined, as always, by Alex. Salutations. And our special guest this evening, very pleased to welcome on Matt Jones of The Blue Room. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem, lads. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, and I suppose in these, these difficult Evertonian times, we have to get through these things together. So uh, happy to help out in what's uh, no doubt going to be a, a bit of a therapy session for us all. Yeah, these, most these definitely. These difficult Everton times with Carlo Ancelotti that we signed about three weeks ago, and now everything's gone to hell, apparently, right? <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing like a derby defeat to send uh, everyone spiraling out of control really and agree. getting fans outside, for, yeah, getting fans outside Finch Farm and all that. But uh, yeah, hopefully, better days are on the horizon. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we've had a few days to digest the loss at the weekend, and we now look forward to Brighton. We'll touch on that uh, in a, a bit later. But Matt, I did catch. Um, some of the Blue Rooms weekly episode today and you guys talking about the Derby defeat. And I mean, there's not too much more that needs to be said about it. I think we've all, we'd all prefer to just sort of eliminate it from our memory if possible. But um, it just, I think it, we'll start with the article that came out in The Athletic today from Patty Boyland and Greg O'Keefe. Um, a bit of a weird one um, talking about a bit of an uproar after Duncan Ferguson went into the the changing room following the defeat at Anfield and essentially gave the players a rollicking. And from the reports that, that the Athletic is privy to, there was a fair amount of pushback from the players. Um, obviously, tensions are high following a, a match of that magnitude and a defeat of that magnitude. But I did just want to read a quick excerpt and then we can sort of chat about the the broader implications. So um, this is this obviously yeah, comes from The Athletic. Uh, the hangover from previous failed regimes lingers, rearing its ugly head in pressure situations such as the one on Saturday at Anfield, and it is said to be having an influence on the squad's receptiveness to new ideas. The way in which Everton have moved between styles so regularly has created an element of doubt for the players in terms of understanding the club's direction of travel on and off the pitch. And this is a quote from one of their sources. When players don't, dis- don't trust decisions and direction from management, they get frustrated and lose respect. When that happens, players look at all management as the same thing from a new manager to ownership. Matt, what do you make of these reports coming from inside the locker room following the defeat uh, in the derby? I wouldn't say I've been hugely surprised by it, to be honest. Um, I think it's very hard to get a, a gauge on what Premier League footballers are like, really, because I think so often they are media trained. and When they go out onto the pitch, they are very zoned in on the football match. You didn't really get a, a read on the personalities, but I think there have been times this season when the chips have been down and we've had poor results. And certainly after the game at the weekend, when you look at the way the players scurried off the pitch um, instead of going out to supporters, I think that showed a, a little bit of a, a lack of character, um, could even say a little bit of cowardice. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think this it's the, the fact that they can, after a game like that and a performance like that, that they could even say to someone like Duncan Ferguson, who has, has got a tune out of these lads, let's not forget, and got a tune out of this team when nine of them played against Chelsea and won 3-1 and made 37 tackles. 
you know, for them to push back in that regard and say the effort was there, the standard was there, you know, I think it's a bit of a slap in the face to, to all of us, to be honest. Um, and I imagine someone like Carlo Angelotti, if he didn't understand the gravity of, of what he's come into here at Everton, where there is effectively a Frankenstein squad for some disillusioned players, then he would have got a full read on, on where it is right now. And you know what? I, I completely agree. You know, it doesn't take but just a normal job in any old workplace to understand or to learn that most of the time when someone is extremely defensive about their work, in this instance, being on the pitch, those are the people that legitimately cannot or do not do their jobs, hmm. right? The, the, whoever yeah, comes sure. to you and is the most rude, they are usually, or the most defensive, let me rephrase that, they are the ones at fault most of the time. That's like, I, w- I would go as far as to say statistically proven. I, w- I won't, I won't, <laughs> state, I won't cite my sources. I'm not going to cite them, but I know you'll, you'll all believe me. <laughs> Nonetheless, it, it, you know, we're all sitting here, right? The, the timeline of the last couple of weeks, everyone's elated. Like we got Carl Ancelotti, right? You know, we, we turned the, well, big dunk turned the results around, as you mentioned, Matt. Um, now, next thing you know, we go um, to Anfield in the FA Cup and we lose to uh, a majority of a squad on, on the pitch that didn't, that had what, like one Premier League appearance between them. <clears throat> I think that was like six or seven players on the pitch for Liverpool that had one appearance between all of them. So it's frustrating. And, and I didn't expect to wake up to news that there was some blowout in the dressing room that, you know, they decided to argue with him. I do think that those things sometimes happen. And I don't think that that's the end all be all, you know, you see everyone spraying on spaying on Twitter, you know, oh, whoever it was leave now, that sort of thing. I don't necessarily know that that's the case. Obviously, we're never probably going to know who are, are the individuals that decided to speak up or, or talk back. But I don't know that it's always that simple. I mean, we we saw, right, that uh, Delph and Holgate got into a little bit of a spat the other day on the pitch. And, mm. you know, it comes out in an interview, right? Like, I think with Delph, maybe with the club officially. And he just said, you know, that that stuff happens. You work it out on the pitch, you work it out in the dressing room, and then you move on. It's a new day. I think we've all been there in some form or fashion with people, whether that's with friends or a significant other or whoever else. So, you know, tensions were running high. Now, I, I think they knew that they didn't perform well enough. Then they get someone running in, yelling at them like Big Dunk. I'm not sure I would yell back at Big Dunk, but uh, <laughs> good for them. Uh, nonetheless, I, it's it's unfortunate. It's annoying. But I'm hoping that this weekend we can kind of turn the stone once again as we've tried to do for years and years and years now. Yeah, I think you both touched on some really good points. And I think, Alex, you know, in regard to just just thinking about professional footballers as people going into the workplace. And of course, I mean, ultimately, that's what it is. They're paid ridiculous sums of money. But with that comes the added pressure and scrutiny of being in the public eye and having to deal with all of the fan backlash and all of the things on social media now in today's day and age with, you know, just the exposure and the the amount that these players are out there now, um, even if they may personally, you know, withdraw even more than they perhaps ever have. If you look back, you know, Howard's way being a, a great example of like players out in the pub in Liverpool after matches, you just, you don't see that level of access to the players anymore, but it's just, <sighs> It's unfortunate that so much of this, the arrival of Carlo Ancelotti has now been so quickly diminished and, and brought the mood down so quickly. That is inevitable when, when perhaps the most winnable derby in recent memory goes slipping through your fingers. But for me, it just, it just takes away from 
the the job that these players have to do and like you said matt and i think it's been said by virtually everyone at this point if carlo didn't know the job he had on his hands Mm. he most likely does now and with that will come meetings with marcel brands to talk about recruitment and moving forward with, with the squad and there's rumors now surfacing that perhaps some of the players who have been mainstays in the side for several years, such as Gilfie Sigurdsson, maybe have been deemed surplus to requirements. And so, I mean, in some ways it's bad, but in other ways, maybe this is, you know, the final, maybe this, maybe this is the bottom. Maybe we finally found the bottom. <laughs> I never really want to, I don't want to jinx it, knock on wood and all those yeah. things, but perhaps this is, I mean, how low do you have to sink before things finally turn for the better? Well, I think that's that's quite an interesting point in that regards. And, you know, if, if we're going to frame this in a positive way, that's what you could say. You could say that all Everton's issues, warts and all, were on display at Anfield in those 90 minutes at the weekend. You had the team showing a lack of mentality, a lack of bottle in those games. And I think what what that might do, maybe not in January, but certainly in the summer when there is a chance to assess things a little bit more ruthlessly and we could, we've got a bit more room to spend a bit more money. Carlo Angelotti can say to Marcel Brands, I need player X, player Y, player Z, and the club can't go to him. Well, actually, you've got player A, B or C in those positions, and we think they're all right. You can you can point to that game in Anfield and they go, well, look at that. Look at what those lads who I didn't like, and, you know, I think um, I speak to Paddy about this this today. He was on one of our shows, and it, you know, it's very much a case that it was the senior players that the pushback in this regard. And I think that's that's referenced in the article. Um, but Carlo Angelotti can point to that and say, "Well, look, look at what they served up at Anfield on the pitch. Look at the way in which they scurried off the pitch at the end. Look what happened in the dressing room in the aftermath of this." And it's almost as though if there was any sort of sense that this didn't need a big rebuild and this didn't need full scale overhaul in the summer in terms of personalities in terms of personnel in terms of doing transfers then this is sort of the thing that he can point at now Carlo Angelotti and say that is why I need to do all this change in the summer yeah and the one last thing I'd like to to just touch on in this article is that um, I guess it kind of highlights you know the players now have nowhere to hide it's been so long that the manager has been the scapegoat and the easy target to point at as far as tactics and implementation. And that's the reason he can't get, you know, Marco Silva couldn't get the best out of the players. Sam Allardyce certainly could not. Ronald Koeman, Roberto Martinez towards the end of his tenure. Now you've got inarguably one of the top five managers in terms of CV in the world, if not, you know, even higher than that. Mm. And so the players don't really have a place to hide. And, And the players have obviously in the various low points of the last several years, the players have come come under a lot of scrutiny, but it's always been kind of the manager as the easy target to point to. And now it's going to take time to implement Ancelotti's ideas. And it just is now down to the players to, to take responsibility and really work their socks off to try to get this club to the point where all of the, all of us as fans want to see and expect them to expect to see them at. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you guys, um, but I feel like that's something that's happened in the fan base over the last few days. I've certainly not seen anyone pointing the fingers at Carlo Angelotti, and it seems to have been a sort of a consciousness among the fan base that's sort of gradually begun to surface where it said, well, you know, these players have thrown various managers under the bus now. They can't throw this fellow under the bus. And if it's going to be anybody who takes the broom for bad results that may come along down the road if Everton don't have a particularly strong against the season. But it's not this fellow who's won, you know, who nobody in the history of football has won more Champions League titles 
than as a manager, it's got to be these lads on the pitch. So I certainly think that's a, something that the supporters have maybe woke up to a bit. And hopefully that means that Carlo Angelotti will get the patience he needs to, to turn this around. Absolutely. I thought that was probably one of the best points in the article for sure. Something I have not thought about myself. So ideally, we do see Carlo stick around for a good amount of time. And that is, I mean, honestly, that's like a super good point. Like, I, I haven't seen one person, and we know there's always at least one person on social media, but I haven't seen one person blame Carlo, unless they were tongue-in-cheek. But <laughs> speaking of management, just a quick segue into, into a short topic before we lead into the Brighton match preview. Speaking of managers, Seamus Coleman today received his UEFA B license. I'm not sure if anyone was aware that he was studying for his licensure, but nonetheless, that's super mm. exciting. And I saw a tweet, uh, a pairing of Seamus Coleman and Tim Cahill for Everton manager 2025. You know, that <laughs> could be decent timing. Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I had the, the pleasure of speaking to him at the end of last season. Uh, the club kind of gave us the opportunity to go down and, and have a chat with him and sort of asked him about his ambitions, you know, in, in being, we sort of had this this sort of togetherness about being 30 year old fellas coming to the end of the, the prime and of commas and we had a bit of a laugh about it and you know he he, he sort he sort of whereas i'm very much bones creaking and struggling to get out of bed every morning he was thinking very much about carrying on playing football there's no there's no indication he was quite looking forward to being everton captain of course as well but um i don't know about you lads but i, I always find it weird when footballers get to this stage of the career and you start looking at them in in the sort of light of what they might do away from the field and potentially on the sidelines. You know, you think about Leighton Baines and you you look at that fella and think, I, I can't imagine you on the sidelines in in a suit or or you know doing punditry. I can just imagine him maybe playing in a in a you know his guitar in a bar or something like that. But certainly not being involved in football. And to be honest, I, you know you're right. It's Alex. It's it's one of them where when you. You, I saw that today. I was, it, was, it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a shock, really. Um, I think Seamus is thirty-one now. He's not necessarily had the best season, but um, be certainly interested to see what he'd be like as, as a coach. Um, I always, I always remember thinking about him when he when he first broke onto the scene at Everton. That he was quite a unique player in in lots of different ways, and I think that was largely due to his his background in in Gaelic football, which they play in Ireland, and a lot of the movements he made, a lot of the runs he made, a lot of the, the way in which he anticipated space was. Was very different to to other right backs that we'd seen at the football club, so it would be interesting to see if he could take some of those ideas into into his coaching work as well in the future. Yeah, I think I think it's a testament, you know, to his his desire to probably obviously continue on with coaching. And, and like you said, Matt, Leighton Baines is probably the polar opposite in that regard. He'll probably withdraw to uh, privacy, and I know he enjoys uh, preserving his private life. Certainly not one to be all over social media. Whereas Seamus. Being the vocal leader that he is, will certainly have his eye on a on a career in management, and mm. he's taken the correct steps to to do that. And I think you know, with just you know, he's had a lot of managers to learn from, and I'm sure he'll have taken lessons from all of them. Maybe uh, what not to do for certain from certain characters, but um, we'll have picked up a lot. And and it would be very. I mean, the the current trend is obviously for former players to take the reins at their at, at their club, and I guess it to some extent always has been, but Seamus Coleman 2025 doesn't seem like uh, the worst shout in the world as far as if you want a, if you want a player that the fans could get behind or a coach that the fans could get behind, he's certainly right up there. I mean, I thought it might have been a little early for the coaching badges, but I wonder if maybe this is the Jibril Sidibre, Sidibe, Sidibre, Sidibe <laughs> effect. He's just got him looking over his shoulder, 31 years old, I might need to retire soon. But uh, nonetheless, so let's, let's move into the uh, Brighton match preview, right? So Brighton are 14th place on 24 points. 
only one behind us with a negative four goal differential, which if I'm not mistaken is actually better than ours, which is twice uh, as good. Twice, twice as okay, good. Okay, so, <laughs> so twice as embarrassing then. Um, nonetheless, 10 points separating sixth and 18th place. So as we know, as we know, it's still all to play for. I mean, it's easy to say and think that the season's over and it's been over since, you know, probably October, I think is, is what a lot of fans have been feeling, honestly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's still, it's still a very small spread. It's been a really odd year in the premier league. I think, well, I know, um, either way, their form is not very hot. They've got one win in the last six, which was against Arsenal. We can all chuckle amongst ourselves, um, <laughs> but might I remind you the last match against Brighton this season was an absolute awful scene. We lost three, two at the Amex and that was capped off by the Luca Dean own goal in stoppage time. So, <laughs> you know, how are we feeling just at a very top level? Uh, and we'll start with Matt first. How are you feeling going into the match? Um, specifically, you know, off the back of the Liverpool match and now the news that broke today from Greg and Patty, um, how do you but but on the flip side right i just want to make the point that now carlo is going to have a full week of training with the squad which i am not sure that he's had to this point hmm. i got chills when you mentioned that game at the amex earlier in the season then we had <sighs> we had the var controversy didn't we as well with with michael mm. Keane, of course in, in, in that game yeah. and that, that you know that was that was one of those matches where i think he could you could give a lot of stick to Marco Silva for what he did this season, but I did feel a bit sorry for him that day. It felt as though he made substitutions that ultimately got us ahead in the game, you know, with Dominic Carvalhoon coming on and scoring. And then what sort of happened after that was, you know, the referees felt initially and then the players sort of thrown it in. But I'm a little bit worried about this game, I'm not going to lie. Um, I know Brighton aren't in the best of form, as you said there, but... I can't imagine Goodison Park being a buzz with with life and anticipation and excitement for this game. I feel like a lot of people going to that stadium on Saturday will be getting out of bed and thinking, oh, do you know what? It's January. It's going to be cold. It's going to be windy. I can't really be bothered with this today. And that's going to make for a flat atmosphere. You know, you, you can't imagine the siren before the game stirring too many people up. Um, and I think I think Brighton, as much as they're open at the back and as much as the um, they've got flaws in the side. I think they're a, a really well-coached outfit and I think they'll keep the ball yeah. well. And you get the sense that if they keep the ball well and start the game well for 20 minutes and they might not even score, if it's nil after 20 minutes and they're knocking it around, you're going to get that Goodison groan, everyone's going to get anxious and all of a yeah. sudden, all those thoughts that everybody had in the aftermath of the game on Sunday and the anger they've been feeling on Monday and Tuesday and the various negative emotions they've had all week are just going to start simmering to the surface again. Um, so I think it's dead important that Everton get on the front foot early in this game. Because if Brighton, like I said, start well, they will start to think, we quite fancy this here. Um, Goodison is a horrible place to play for Everton when teams come and do that. Um, so I think that the most yeah. important thing going into it is, is, is that Everton get off on the front foot and start to win back that trust and that support from the fan base. I completely agree. I think, yeah, the first 20 minutes are going to be absolutely vital. I'd imagine that the vast majority of the crowd at Goodison is going to arrive with a fair degree of skepticism as to what they're they're about to see. And then, it again, it comes back to the players. Will they come out with a chip on their shoulder, with a point to prove, to show the fans that last Saturday was not representative of them as an outfit moving forward? I think the week of training under Carlo will have done them a lot of good as far as organization and Brighton. Yeah. I mean, they're not in great form. Like you said, Matt, they're frankly in rather poor form. They also fell out of the FA cup 
to Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend. And so they'll be looking to bounce back as well. And I think it's very important that we score the first goal in this match because if we go behind, Goodison will just be dead silent. And the players, I mean, it is it has been a week, but there's only so much that even a man of the stature of Carlo Ancelotti can do in the span of a week. So, I mean, tactically, I think we're going to set up fairly similarly to how we have been. I don't expect to see any radical changes. Um, I'm interested, Alex, what you think the lineup might look like. Do we expect to see Bernard perhaps uh, come back into the fold? Fabian Delph and I guess everyone's favorite whipping boy at the moment, Gilfie Sigurdsson. So before I, before I oblige, I just want to point out, right, their form is not great, but in the last six that we talked about in which they have one win, you know, they played Spurs, Palace, Arsenal, Liverpool, Man U. Mm-hmm. So those those opponents might mask the form a little bit. Um, I haven't watched uh, I haven't watched them a ton in recent weeks, but I have caught plenty of highlights. Um, there are a couple of players that are actually decently in form, starting to hit gear, at least compared to um, my understanding the the previous part of the season. That's Aaron Moy, who is generally speaking uh, their main man in central midfield. He likes to orchestrate play. He can control the possession as well as the tempo, and he's always a good player. He's he's a very tidy player, so he's never going to be easy to deal with. And and with our with our weaknesses in central midfield currently, specifically with our setup that we're going to talk about in a second, that could be an issue. They've got Davy Proper and Pascal Gross. I'm not saying that those two are in form, but they're always dangerous. They're pretty creative players. But lastly, I just wanted to touch on. Um, Jahan Baksh. So, so this is a guy that they signed. Sorry for the pronunciation, but I tried. This is the guy that they signed <laughs> that last season. That's pretty to be honest, really... yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah. James just had to laugh at me for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> I like so, to laugh this at you. is the guy that they signed last season, and they were hoping that he was going to add to the goal tallies, right? He did not end up doing that. Next thing you know, I think he scored two or three weeks in a row, which was capped off most recently with like a ridiculous bicycle kick from. I want to say probably 12, 13, 14 yards out. And so, you know, he's a forward that is in form. Our defense is not quite in form. Um, Again, Aaron Moy is definitely going to be uh, pretty dangerous in the center of the pitch per usual. And so that could be another pain point for us because we've been struggling that way. In terms of setup, right, I think we're going to set up the same way as you said, James, Um, probably like a 3-4-3 in possession and then a 4-4-2, kind of a flat 4-4-2 out of possession. I hope that we do see Bernard come in and start. I think that would be a solid addition. Um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin has to start for me, Richarlison as well. Um, in sort of in terms of central midfield, I mean, you have you have four options. You have Schneiderlin, Delph, Sigurdsson, and Tom Davies. I would be completely happy if I saw this. This is what I want to see. I, I would be happy if I saw Delph and Davies in there. If we're talking about only two central midfielders, simply because Gilfie has been god awful. Uh, like literally every, you know, you, a lot of times with players, you have, you have two different assessments. You have a statistical assessment and then you have, can they pass the eye test? Mm. Unfortunately, Gilfie Sigurdsson is passing neither at the moment. So, you know, Tom Davies was doing pretty well before he kind of got pushed out onto the left-hand side a couple weeks ago. Um, so I think that Fabian Delph and Tom Davies could be a decent central midfield pairing, Sidibe and Luca Dean. Um, and then I would probably stick Coleman back at right center back along with uh, Mina and Holgate, to be honest, because it's been working. And I think I think uh, his his passing out of the back ball, obviously, Coleman's not one to play a crisp 50-yard um, pass over the top. But 
I, I think it's a, it's an asset. Um, he's pretty physical and can stand in. And honestly, we don't need Michael Keane turning like a. <laughs> I think the the one the one position you mentioned there, which well, just, just first of all on the line, there has to be a load of changes for this. There, there is there is no way after what happened on Sunday at Anfield and the reaction in the dressing room and all the reports, Carlo Ancelotti needs to make five changes, I think, to the team at least. There needs to be some kind of show of that wasn't good enough in, in his lineup. And I think the other thing with that is that how he sets the team up and the players who may not necessarily be in the side could tell us a lot about who were the, the lads who were giving a bit of pushback in the dressing room on, on Sunday and who Duncan Ferguson and Carlo Ancelotti might not be happy with. And I think with that in mind, and, and one of the senior players who I think has been below par this season and there's speculation about him not being happy at the moment. Um, obviously, he was a big fan of Marcus Silva. And that's Luca Dean. Um, I think he's been rushed back into the team a few times this season with injury. He went off against Arsenal injured and Baines came on. He went up against Manchester United at Old Trafford and Baines came on again. And there's just there's just something not quite there with him at the moment. Um, you know, Obviously, it was always going to be difficult for him to, to hit the same heights as last season. But even his, his work rate, his, his final ball, which was so good last term, has really disintegrated a little bit for me. And I think at, at the moment, and you look at the way Leighton Baines played in the games against Newcastle when he came against Manchester United, of course, that game against Leicester where he, he slams one in from 30 yards. I, I think there's, there's an argument there to say that Leighton Baines deserved a chance at left-back. But um, apart from that, the rest of the team, I think, I, I tend to completely agree with. Um, the only thing we might maybe do is potentially put Richarlison on on the right flank and have Boyce Keane start up front with Dominic Carvert-Lewin. Um, mm. But obviously, and may, maybe in a game like this where Brighton are going to be expansive and are going to give you chances, it's, it could be a good game for, for Keane to, to find space and get off the mark. But um, I think left-back's going to be dead interesting. It's going to be really interesting to see, especially after Sunday, and the talk of Luca Dean not potentially being that settled at the moment, uh, whether Leighton Baines does get a nod. Yeah, the Bane shout is a very interesting one because, as you said, Matt, Luca Dean, player of the season last year, struggled to reach the same level, and he has struggled with injuries. And it was it was so bizarre to see Leighton Baines back in the side in so many ways, and yet it felt so familiar and so right at the same time. And it was amazing the ease with which he just sort of slipped right back into the team, and it was as if he never really left. And you know, the the question remains: How can a player of his age maintain that form over? know several games but if there's anyone that can do it it would have to be Leighton Baines and I think it would you know depending on what things are like behind the scenes if Luca Dean is truly unsettled maybe it is a, a good opportunity for Baines to get a nod in and just see I mean I, I, he's certainly capable of playing up to the level of, of Brighton no disrespect intended to them but he's still a very good player and he can still do a really important job for us and it, it's important to not forget that we do have you know, arguably some of our better depth at the left back position, mm. given our current injury situation. Yeah, I mean, and you look at the opposition he's, he's done it against when he's been dropped into the side this season. Like I said, I, I, when he came on at Old Trafford, I, you know, I was there that day and I was terrified about Daniel James. You know, absolute flying yeah. machine on the right wing for Man United being up against him, and he was just that clever, um, really calm, and just just dealt with the situation really well. And you know, this is this isn't a sentimental thing by any means. It's not me sitting here saying. After a derby defeat, we need more local lads in the side, or more veteran, or, or more veteran players, or anything like that. It's just solely on performances, and I think if you assess yeah. the performances of the team over the last few weeks, and you look at the performances of the two left backs respectively, Leighton Baines has been playing better than Luca Dean, um, and you know that, that could lead us on to another conversation about 
what do we, do we give him another contract and all that kind of thing? But even in the short term at the moment, I think he probably deserves a, a chance to, to to start a game in the Premier League again, certainly. So I have a question for both of you as we round out kind of the lineup talk and tactical talk. Do you think, and Matt, as guests, you, you should uh, go first. <laughs> do you think we could be surprised and see any possible uh exclusions from not even the starting lineup but the 18 um I'm, hmm. potentially potentially it, it you know we're, we're doing a lot of reading between the lines on on this aren't we um in regards to, to the yeah. players and that kind of kind of thing and i think what what the club will be keen to do is for this not to become a massive issue and for right. You know, people to be able to write on Monday morning in the in the papers and or on Sunday that Carlo Ancelotti has excluded player X from the squad or, or player Y. I think they'll want to just keep things nice and steady between now and the end of the season, and then maybe they'll look at the end of the season as the time to make those big decisions. And you know, it, it might be a case of players who don't necessarily like Duncan Ferguson or you know players that Duncan Ferguson doesn't like or Carlo Ancelotti doesn't like just having to coexist for a few months, but. I think they'll be keen to prevent it from going into an all-out crisis and an all-out divide in the squad. So I'll, I'll, I'll be a little bit surprised to think if, if there was major exclusions. But, but like I said earlier on, I, I do think there needs to be some repercussions for what happened on Sunday at Anfield. He can't go into this game and play 10 or 9 of the same lads that started that game. There needs to be something for the fans to look at going to that ground and say, yeah, this fella saw something similar to us. He gets it, and the players who didn't pull the weight have been ultimately, you know, they've lost the place in the side. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with Matt. I think right now the important thing is that regardless of what's going on behind the scenes, what conversations are being had or not had, it's of the utmost importance that the squad and Everton as a club put forth a you know, appearance of unity and togetherness, whether that is actually true behind the scenes, is sort of irrelevant because you can't turn the events of immediately following Carlo Ancelotti's arrival into some kind of media spectacle because we do have a lot of eyeballs on us now. We raised a lot of eyebrows with the signing of Ancelotti in the first place. And there's nothing that the media would love to do more than to start to talk about how the Ancelotti uh, the wheels are starting to fall off before they even really got rolling. Yeah. And so it, it it needs to be handled in-house, whatever happens. And and frankly, he can't afford to be dropping any significant names just due to depth issues at the moment. And so I think that I would be surprised to see someone, you know, like Gilfie Sigurdsson draw from the 18. I, I frankly just wouldn't believe that that would be possible. But it would be an interesting opportunity for maybe some of the younger players um, I'm never one to advocate for some of the youth setup to come through too early because I think fans tend to think very highly of our youth setup. And in reality, we've had so few players come through the youth setup into the senior team in recent years that I think we're perhaps inclined to overestimate their readiness for the big stage. But yeah, I, I agree with Matt. There do need to be changes, but there doesn't, I don't think there needs to be any kind of like public statement made with the team sheet when it comes out at the weekend. All good points. I mean, I'm I don't want to see the club burn, I promise. Just an interesting thought I had. I'm do right now. I mean, something, I mean, it would be juicy, right? Like, it'd be kind of crazy to think and talk about. Not, I mean, I, I'd be more interested to see who it was, right? But nonetheless, let's wrap things up, gentlemen, with score predictions for the weekend. Matt, you're first. I think it's going to be a very, very 
very nervy and anxious and probably quite horrible one nil win to Everton, which I'll I'll be made up with, to be honest. But um I'll be made up on ninety five minutes when the, the referee's blown his whistle, but I will hate every ninety five minutes before and um but yeah, one nil to the toffees. I like the prediction. I agree it's going to be very nervy. Brighton will not make it easy for us. They do uh they are a well organized outfit and they play some really nice football. For me, I still think that there will be some um whether it be mental or whatever what what have you some sort of lingering effect from the derby and so I, I don't expect us to lose but i do expect it to be a 1-1 draw yeah i'm not going to accept that i'm going to i'm going to have to be in matt's corner on this one but i'm going to go 2-1 <laughs> win to everton only because i'm not sure i feel too confident in our ability um to keep a clean sheet in mm. general i mean we know like our, our our open play defense has been quite good since even the beginning of last season the numbers were fantastic but uh I don't know that I feel too confident in our in our ability to keep a clean sheet. However, um, I do think that we're due a couple goals. I think some of the players, a lot of the younger forwards, right? I mean, Keane, obviously, Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, uh, Bernard even, um, they're all going to be hungry. They all need to score more goals, just like we need them to score more goals. And so I hope to see you know a decent performance capped off by three points and move us on up on the table. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the American Toffee podcast for today. A huge thank you to Matt. Thank you. We really appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun recording and uh, we'll be really looking forward to the match and <laughs> I'm sure you'll be there. So try to get, uh, maybe Moise Keen can get an early screamer or something like that and get the crowd up for it. Oh, that'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Uh, be a big relief off, uh, sorry, big weight off everyone's shoulders. But um, no, thanks for having me on, lads, and uh, keep up the good work. And hopefully we'll see you guys when you when you get over to Goodison for, for the game next. Absolutely. Most definitely. That'll actually be in a couple months. Nonetheless, yeah. uh, you will also find uh, Matt's Twitter as well as the Blue Room's information in the description. So check it out there. And until the weekend, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg/atp and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.